Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond. And I'm your co-host, Ice Artificio. Today, we have Pam Boris from Equilibrium. Pam, it's really nice to have you on. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Ice. Delighted to be here. Thanks for being here, Pam. So we'd love to know more about you. Can you tell us an overview about yourself and your company, Equilibrium? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. So I'm a lifelong marketer. I've been officially in the tech B2B space for about 20 years in various marketing and product and sales roles. So I love to talk about marketing. I love to talk to marketers. I have been at Equilibrium for close to three years. Prior to that, other companies in the HR technology B2B space. So Equilibrium is a really interesting company. We're a, a digital SaaS solution that's designed to build resilience at the individual team and organizational level. And you hear a lot about resilience today. It's kind of a buzzword, but often there's no there there. There's no, nothing that backs it up. But Equilibrium has 25 years of science and the science of resilience across really whole person, whole organization factors that really help to assess, measure, and improve resilience one factor at a time in a very scalable, very scientific way. So as a result, organizations that are trying to prepare their workforces for really an age of transformation, what we've seen in the pandemic was just an indication of what we've been seeing and, and what's still to come. I really want to build a more resilient workforce. It's really the single most competitive advantage if you can have adaptable, agile, mission-driven, purpose-driven people working for your company, you're going to be able to overcome really any challenge. That sounds so interesting. 20 years in marketing, that must have been such a journey. And then 25 years of data for resilience. Now in the last two years, we all know that resilience has become very important and you guys have been doing it for so long. How was the marketing space before the pandemic and how is it looking right now for Equilibrium? Yeah, it's a great point, Ice. So when we entered 2020, we had our marketing plan all laid out like every other marketing leader, Mm -hmm. ready to roll. Always know there's going to be things that pop up. But boy, could we have expected what happened in March. And one of the cornerstones of our marketing and demand generation activities has always been events. We find that when we talk to people one-on-one, we can tell that they get it. We can explain a little bit about our point of view. We can give them a demo. And those opportunities basically vaporized overnight. Sure, some went virtual, some got postponed, but it just wasn't quite the same experience. So we really needed to pivot fast. The good news is we have a lot of thought leaders. You alluded to our 25 years of research and science in the study of resilience So going back to the topic of today, media and partners were kind of coming to us for our expertise, wanting to talk to our experts, really want to help handhold people through all of the phases of the pandemic. And we didn't really know that at the time. We thought had, you know, sort of the onset was creating all this uncertainty and high levels of stress. We saw our stress meter kind of go off the charts. So there was that. But then as time wore on, when people were facing new challenges, you know, 
parents dealing with kids who couldn't go back to school, all the racial injustice stuff, the very contentious election, the insurrection on January 6th, all of these things just kind of exacerbated the situation. And all of those times, our experts were called upon by the media, by the industry to weigh in on what people could do. Very cool. Well, if we get into a specific topic that I know is top of mind with you, it's using PR and influencers for your marketing. So I know this is something you have a lot of expertise in and really just wanted to dive into this topic and talk about how other marketers out there can best leverage PR and leverage influencers to add to their marketing efforts. Definitely. Yeah, happy to talk about that. So if you think about PR, I mean, PR is is not a new field by any stretch of the imagination. And many times smaller companies maybe can't afford a full-on PR firm. It can be quite expensive just to kind of get the base retainer. And just throwing a press release out every six months is not a PR strategy. So it's really a matter of using press releases. They're one tactic, one tool in your toolbox, and they're really appropriate for certain types of news you're trying to get out there, new personnel announcements, product updates, thought leadership updates, but don't expect a press release to be the be-all end-all. But really building a database, doesn't need to be huge, of the people in your space that are the trade press and the media, as well as your local business press, is a really worthwhile exercise. might feel a little tedious, but get that list and be constantly with news going out to them. I think of the expression, why you, why now, right? Why am I reaching out to you? And why am I reaching out to you right now? So for example, we might reach out to the Boston Innovation Press because of an award we received or some product accolades or something like that. There's a reason why we're reaching out. All of these media folks, whether they're staff reporters, whether they're freelancers, They always have a new deadline. They always have what used to be called column inches to fill, which is now web pages to fill on a very, very regular basis. So if you're able to go to them with trusted information, you're not just trying to sell. It's not a product pitch. You've got real true experts that they can speak to. You're going to become one of their go-to sources. So when they think about your topic and our topics being in the emotional well-being and resilience space are pretty broad when things happen related to burnout, as we're seeing the great resignation of people leave jobs, those reporters think of us and want to speak to our chief knowledge officer, chief science officer, our CEO, depending on the topic. So really, it takes a little bit of effort to cultivate those types of relationships. But once you do, they will start to come and pay back for all that effort. Totally. So if I'm a marketer out there listening right now, maybe that is my PR strategy is we got a PR firm, we'll send some press releases out, but you know, not too sophisticated. What are some things that I should be thinking about? How do I get started in really building out the strategy and excelling? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to go hand in glove with your content strategy. So if you are putting out a new piece of thought leadership, think about the PR angles. We do, again, we're blessed at Equilibrium because we have so much science data. We're always doing research studies. We survey our population a lot. We have a survey that we're doing now. We're finishing up for the third time, which we call the COVID self-check, where we actually ask members, how are you thinking and how are you feeling at this point? Point in sort of the pandemic life cycle. So people have come to expect that from us. So if you have trusted data, science, research, then you've got something new and different that not everybody else has. Again, that's going to start to get attention. And you may have to manage expectations with your 
senior management team. You know, everybody wants a full page story in the New York Times. Those are very few and far between. I've seen one feature in a daily in my entire career, but there are really influential media sources that are in your distinct trade media in your area that your decision makers, buyers, and customers are listening to and reading and seeing and hearing. There's video, there's audio, there's podcasts, there's all sorts of different things you could get involved in. What can be tricky is deciding what's worth your time, right? And I think you really have to try a few things and see what sticks. I'll just give one tiny example. Our chief science officer, chief knowledge officer was invited to be interviewed on a radio show. And we said, okay, sure. And then we found out it was going to run at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning. And I was thinking, all right, well, maybe this isn't going to necessarily pan out. Well, it turns out that a CEO of a company we were prospecting to was on his way to the gym at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning, heard the story, sent a text message to his head of HR and said, hey, check these guys out. And they became a customer really, really quickly. So, well, you know, a lot of what we want to try to do in marketing is measure and test. And, oh, that's huge. I'm a huge on data and analytics and measurement and testing. Sometimes you get those kind of interesting You don't really know that they're going to happen. And I actually think that's really the fun of PR and media to have take advantage of those opportunities. Totally. What are some of those indicators of like, hey, our strategy is successful? What are some of those things? Obviously, you can't measure and test everything, but of what you can, you know, what are some indicators of, hey, we're really excelling or, hey, we really need to uh, shore up some areas of this? Sure. I think, you know, there's always the quantity and quality question, right? So quantity is good, quality is better. So we track not only the media hits we get, but then we kind of have them into kind of tier one and tier two. And tier one is going to vary, right? So for us, for example, best company is a tier one, as well as human resource executive, which is, you know, in our space. For another company, it would be completely different. I think it's also when your customers start saying to you, oh yeah, I saw your article, I saw so-and-so quoted, because then they feel like going back to sort of the lifelong customer or customer retention, part of what you're doing here is post-purchase reinforcement, right? I bought from the guys who are the ex-guys and gals who are the experts in this space. And that's really, really important in addition to sort of new customer acquisition. So if you're giving your customers confidence that you have that expertise, that you're trusted, that you're seen out in the media, that's going to also pay off for you in terms of retention. Totally. Let's talk about agencies and hiring an outside firm with this and all that. Do you have any thoughts around whether companies should just, let's go hire some people and kind of hands off, let's do it all in-house, let's make it a balance. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think it's very hard to, I love PR agencies. I've had some good ones. I've had some not so good ones. But, you know, in general, these are professionals that really know what they're doing. But you really can't with PR, you cannot hand it off and let folks run with it. You just can't Mm -hmm. because there is that inherent knowledge of the brand, understanding of the product suite, understanding the customer that you really can't get by being in an agency. It's very difficult. So I certainly advocate if you're going to have an agency, first of all, I don't think you need one, but if you're going to have an agency, you really need to make that a partnership. You need to invest the time to educate their teams, make sure they're up to speed, make sure they understand your goals, and then let them bring their expertise. If you're not going to go that way, you can hire somebody in-house. Often those people have come from an agency and they have that agency experience. 
Many times people go in, agencies are sort of known for having a little bit of a revolving door because they hire people young and then they often go to the brand side. They get enticed over to go work for a brand. So that's a possibility. And then there are all sorts of hybrid these days, consultants and fractional people that you can hire. So you don't need to spend a ton of money and go with a top tier firm, particularly if you're on a smaller budget, particularly if you're in a, a startup or a growth company. Totally. And how do you select an agency that's going to be the right fit? Obviously, there's a lot of agencies out there and they all want your business and all this stuff. What are some indicators of, hey, this is going to be a successful partnership and maybe this isn't quite the right fit? Yeah, no, it's a good point. I don't think there's any way to shortcut the sort of blocking and tackling of whether you do a formal RFP or not, but you've got to submit to the agencies you've heard about. I would ask around to people in your industry. I would see what press releases are out there from companies that you know and trust. It's good if somebody has some industry experience, but you also have to be careful because if they have a series of customers in your industry, they may have non-competes. That was something Mm -hmm. that I ran into in, in the past where the agency would come to me and say, hey, XYZ company is interested in us pitching but do you consider them a competitor? And most of the time, if you're an incumbent with an agency and something comes along that's competitive to a key client of yours, they're not even going to bid for the business because they're Mm going to see that as competitive. So it's a tricky road. And then I think the pitching, when you hear their pitches, you've got to also ask who's going to actually work on my account. Because often, just like with an ad agency, is the same with a PR agency, they trot out the big guns, you know, the really experienced people. And then you show up for your first operational meeting and you get all the junior staff. So you mm-hmm. want to actually be who is going to work on my account. I want to meet those people. I want them to be part of the pitching process. I want them to be part of the interviewing process. Totally. Love that. And lastly, let's talk about influencers. Obviously, every company has its influencers in their space. How do you track those people? How do you get their time and attention and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So I think this influencer is sort of, I don't want to say it's a bad word, but you know, there is so much out there in terms of Instagram influencers and the B2C world, and it makes it sound like it's really vapid and pointless. And that is not the case at all in B2B influencers. And they're not, they can be tricky to find, right? Because they don't necessarily have 25 million followers on Twitter, but they might have 5,000 of the people you're trying to reach. So finding them is not that hard. I think, again, it's a little bit of that elbow grease work that you've got to do. Find out, you know, who the influences are in your field, kind of the top tier, because everybody talks about them. They write about your, around your topic. So start there and then find out who they're connected with and who's following them, right? Because there's always these up and coming influencers who may be easier to reach and you can sort of earn your way to the top and speak to some of the top influencers in your field. One thing that particularly important in B2B and in SaaS is industry analysts. And there are a lot of them. Some of them are at big name firms, Foresters and Gartners always come to mind, but there are always smaller firms And increasingly, these smaller firms are very influential because often people will leave a big firm and set up their own shop because they wanted to Mm. kind of do it differently. And there's all sorts of models in the analyst world now. So I would find out who the industry analysts are. Again, in the HR space, we have so many. But what I've learned is it's really a relationship. It's not a, oh, my goodness, I hope they'll listen to my pitch and my demo. You know, they'll be doing me a favor. 
industry analysts get the way they are because they're really smart about what's going on in the industry. And if you're doing something truly innovative, truly different, they are going to want to hear from you because they need to be one step ahead of everybody else in the industry. So you've got to really make sure that that's the case. You don't want to insult their intelligence. But if you have a really compelling product that you really don't think someone else is doing, they will pay attention to you. They will give you 30 minutes. Love that. Well, it's been amazing to have you on. Really appreciate talking about leveraging PR and influencers and all this stuff. And there's a lot of marketers listening to this. And one of the things we like to wrap up with is just general advice when it comes to marketing. And what advice or what key takeaways would you have for other marketers listening today? Yeah, I actually have some strong thoughts on this. One of the things I've been hearing about is the pipeline, the sort of the CMO pipeline is getting a little anemic. And part of that is I very kindly alluded to the fact I've been doing this for 20 years, but didn't call me old, which is fine. But when I came up in marketing, you kind of got your hands dirty in a lot of different areas, right? So there's a little bit of branding and a little bit of design and a little bit of demand gen and all these kinds of things. But today, marketing has become so specialized. Somebody might be really a marketing ops person or a demand gen person or an events person. And that's fine if that's where your interest is. But if your career aspirations are to be a head of marketing, a VP of marketing, a CMO someday, you really need to get experience across those silos. So mm. if you're feeling pigeonholed, if you're feeling like you know that's happening to you, all you need to do, because there's always tons of stuff to be done in any marketing group, is raise your hand for that voluntary assignment that's across a silo and say, hey, I understand we're putting in a new marketing automation system. Even though I'm sitting over here in events, I'm super interested in that. Can I get on the team? Nobody's ever going to say no to that. And it will give you that experience that you need. And who knows, maybe you'll decide you like marketing operations better. I would also advise anybody to get more and more data-driven, really dive into the data. There used to be a time when you could be a marketer and not be data-driven. I think those days are gone. So you don't need to be a PhD in statistics. Some basics of percentages and growth and the right curiosity and mindset and questions will get you a long way in terms of becoming more data-driven in your marketing. Love that. Well, Pam, it's been amazing to have you on. We really appreciate all your wisdom and insights here. Thank you for your time, Pat. Thanks.